Hey everybody, Chris here, and we're taking a small break from the Forgotten Books of the Bible series just to get caught up on some recording and content for all of you guys. But don't worry, we aren't leaving you with nothing to listen to. We decided that we would release one of our very first YouTube series that we recorded back in 2020 called The Conviction Series, where we essentially went through the book of James, chapter by chapter, and talked about what convicted us from it. The audio quality isn't that great on some of the episodes, but we really thought that the content was good enough to overlook some of the bad audio quality we had when we first started up. So we really hope you all enjoy this short series and allow it to do some convicting in your life as well. Here we are, part two of James chapter two conviction series or what the confession I've, series. Confession like, series, yeah. yeah. Or what I've come to call it the ouch series. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for this. Uh, next time you have an idea, I'm going to carefully consider before just saying, yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> that sounds amazing. But it really is good. And I mean, I think to come and get in and just allow ourselves to get the ouch and allow, you know, to confess it really amongst each other. But then there's good. There is good in it, even though I don't want it to be. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So last week I started off because you checked it out. So this week you're going to start off. What convicts you? from these verses from chapter two. I mean, I started off, but I just started with an intro, but okay, yeah. James chapter two, it's right out of the gate. And really we were talking about chapter one has a lot of different things. I feel like chapter two only has a, a couple main points to it, but right there starting in verse one, I'm in the English standard version this time. My brothers show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And he goes on to explain that a little more, and you know maybe we can get into that, but just that showing partiality. And we learn other places in scripture that God doesn't show partiality. In other mm -hmm. words, like, don't think you're a favorite. You're not getting away with things and don't think that you're lower and he views you as lower. You know, like to him, it's even playing field. And I've come to this just as far as being a pastor, both with being a youth pastor and now kind of like a 20s, 30s, college age, like all of that pastor, is that I can feel conviction here because I am on staff at a church because the youth are so important and let's make sure the college kids and we don't forget about the young adults and it's like I rarely see the equivalent of my role for the homeless people mm -hmm. you know we're not really as focused with like hey let's go get the destitute mm -hmm. and make sure we're bringing all of them in there like we really need to make sure that there's a service for them like I have my own service on a Wednesday night with all of my people and we make sure that it's there and get you know everything set up music all and just like Am I showing partiality? You know, even within the church, within the ministry, there's just like, I'm so focused on getting these valuable people to come and sit down. And that's not based off of, uh, it kind of is based on, you know, the fine clothing and the, the socioeconomic status. Because I've got to say, I've never gone and went, hey, you know what? We're just going to go and talk to a bunch of anybody out on the streets and bring them into the building and just do something like that. I've been in part in like homeless ministries where it's like, oh, let's give a meal and a shower and that. And those are great. But just the partiality on how much focus is put and the fact that that's literally my role is to put that focus. Yeah, I don't know. It, it hits me in a way like that. 
I like that too. It was one thing I, I kind of highlighted more in my Bible, the um, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. And just the idea of favoritism is an evil thought. Like when we show favoritism, and there's so many avenues you could go with this verse. It's like for pastors and people and staff, there's the, do you only show favoritism to the people who tithe the most? And when they complain, they get their way, but because someone else, you know, doesn't tithe as much, doesn't get their way or as much of attention as the other person. So that's a real gut check to any pastors out there that James is saying, like, don't show favoritism just because someone shows up with a bling and throws it in your face. Like, and that's where I've heard from many pastors saying, I don't want to know the tithing. Oh, yeah. The finance guys can know the tithing. I don't want to know that when I'm preaching. Because mm-hmm. if I need to preach on tithing, I don't want to be looking at you. I don't even like, uh, here at the church, sometimes they've had me like collect offering. I don't even like doing that. Because then you're walking by and you're like, why aren't you putting anything in the bucket? Yeah, um, you did that to me. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, now we have like online giving. So yeah. the assumption is like people are giving online. But there throws that thought in our head. And then there's even the like, Okay, so we broke it down for like pastors, but as people, favoritism. And, you know, you could have favoritism with your children or in a marriage and in a family. Like sometimes the favoritism goes towards the kids instead of your spouse or your spouse instead of the kids. Or amongst friends, you can be like, oh, this one's my favorite friend. Or you remember MySpace? Like MySpace? Your top eight. Your top eight, (laughs) yes. And so in MySpace, you had your top eight. And then if you went to like someone who was in your top eight, but you weren't in their top eight, like how many like battles that started or ended friendships because of it because you're like well you're you favor them more than me the early 2000s were a rocky place they were they (laughs) myspace ended so many friendships (laughs) it it just really goes to show like the evil thought that's behind even like setting someone else apart because of how they look and how they come in and how they are i like that james said it's an evil thought it's it's gross to even think of that that you would see someone and do it but we all kind of do it So this is a real gut check for us because James is saying like, why are you going out there and being like, oh, that person looks like they're of wealth. I want to hang out with them and not going out there and saying like that person looks like they don't have wealth and I need to be there for them. Um, So yeah, this one was pretty, I mean, there's like 12 verses dealing with favoritism and how it's, I like how it says favoritism's forbidden. Yeah. And there's a thing because I feel like there's the natural thing that we get along with certain people better. And when you see those people and you catch up into the depths of your experiences with that person, there's just something there and like everybody understands that. But so it's kind of expected, but to where it's how far is that okay versus knowing that that's there and knowing what this says and going, I need to draw back a little bit from Mm -hmm. that and allow myself to be open more. You know, coming into a church gathering like this, what this is talking about, of course you want to see your friends. And, you know, if you only see some of them once a week because of however it happens, like you want to connect. But are we so focused on getting to that person that there is no allowance, you know? But it goes on, and that's where in the verses following to where he says, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you've dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? And when I bring that in, where it's really not like just favoritism in the sense of any of the ways that we can play favoritism, but really this power and economic and class Mm -hmm. type thing going on. Granted, this was ancient Rome, so they had a full different system going on. But I could be around people. 
and basically tell somebody, hey, sit at my feet, go sit in the corner. I'm not going to give you the time of day because I'm on this thing and I'm looking at my favorite celebrities. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Here's the rich people or here's politics, right? I'm going to be so wrapped up in my news and getting notifications or whatever, which I'm probably that's not my example. So I'm convicting someone else with that. (laughs) But whatever the things are, right, is that you're going through. And that's what he's saying here is that, look, these are the people, these rich people and some of these politicians, some of the stuff that dishonor God and that are really on the oppressive side against the church. And we're going to give them the full attention. Meanwhile, the people who we could be loving on, we're putting to the side. Mm -hmm. So I think that between, you know, just the whole, you know, Instagram fame or social media, everything and on the news and on the politics and what this thing can do, I can find favoring not even a real person. That's a real person. But through this and putting other people down. I mean, we've all seen it. You go to a restaurant, everybody's just sitting there on their phones, husband and wife. And it's just like, you're not even doing It's like, if you can't give your wife that, what chance is it for, you know, the marginalized in society? That's a really, really good point. I didn't even think of that or look at it in that perspective of the idea that uh, showing favoritisms to like a device and looking at it instead of spending time with the people you're around that you are now showing favoritism to this thing instead of them. And again, it goes into the idea of evil thoughts. I I liked how it continues in verse 8 too. Like, if you really keep the royal law found in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing uh, right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as a lawbreaker. And right there, James is just kind of telling us, this is a sin. Showing favoritism to someone is a sin. If you are doing that, you're not really living that expression, love your neighbor as yourself. And even going back to like our devices and how they keep our attention. Uh, so my cousins, when we were younger, um, we were sitting together in, in the same room at my grandma's house. And I heard one cousin laugh. And then I heard the other one laugh. And I was like, wait, what's going on? These jerks are texting each other back and forth instead of just openly communicating. And I'm like sitting in the room feeling like a third will. And I was like, this sucks. So it is true in that sense that like we we do what is wrong and we're not doing what's right and we're not loving how we should when we show that kind of favoritism. Back when I was a shady guy, we'd be around people and talk behind people's backs. <laughs> we'd be at the party like this guy. Yeah. Um, so open confessions, I guess it's all coming out. Conviction series. But even this thing, right? Because it's just like, I pay this thing. Mm-hmm. I give this thing money in order to be with it. You know what I mean? Stop paying your phone bill and be able to connect to Wi-Fi. It's like, what am I going to do? Play the Solitaire app that I have? But then people go beyond and then it's like, we're not even just paying for this, but for all of the apps and all the everything. So it really is just like, yeah, take my money thing. And what about people? And just like, we see somebody on the end of the freeway mm-hmm. and all of a sudden we judge that. It's like, nah, all right, here's my, my cup thing. I have like three pennies. Good luck buying weed with that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just like all of the judgment. Again, the partiality, the favoritism, the judgment. There's like, how do we know the person we're not paying through here isn't doing something with their money? Mm-hmm. And which that's getting the whole hyper corporatism and what they're doing with the money that we're paying <laughs> them. But even the stigma that we put on someone with poverty um, sometimes. And I think it's because like being burned, like people have been burned. Someone saying, give me some money. And you're like, oh, here, go buy food. And then you see them do something else. And that's a story that anyone can say they've heard or have seen for themselves, and then that creates this negative stigma. But in all that, it shouldn't stop us from actually doing something to help because even here, James is saying like the the person wearing the fine clothing, they're the one who are taking you to court. They're the ones who are blaspheming God's name. They're the ones doing the wrong things. And 
my conviction on this is a little interesting because I've just kind of been a guy that since I was younger, like middle school, high school, this is going to sound weird coming out. I hung out with homeless people. <laughs> I was around them. Like, I don't know how it was. Like, coming out of school, I'd go to the Jack in the Box. There'd be the homeless guy there. And, like, I would talk to him. I'd hang out. Like, if you wanted to use my phone, like, whatever. And, you know, do that. And I knew several people that lived in the riverbed. And, you know, I just knew them by name and would mm. go to their tent and to have that. And my mom's going to hear this. I'm like, is this what you were doing? <laughs> um, but I've been more open to that. And, you know, um, anytime that I really see homeless people, I try to go beyond oh, well, here's some money, but mm-hmm. can I get you food? Can I sit down and eat with you? Can I just connect and have a conversation a bit? But what it says here in verse 5, it says, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the kingdom to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? And I feel like we can have that stigma of like what homeless people are, right? Mm-hmm. Drug addicts or this or that or whatever. I've had such in-depth, faith-filling conversations with homeless people, like, on the riverbed, you know, whatever, and just, like, see a guy who's parked on the bench with his bicycle behind him, whatever, and I just feel God telling me, like, as I'm riding my bike, go and talk to that guy. Uh, no, keep riding. Go and talk to that guy. He's like, all right, fine, I know what this feeling is. Go back and talk to him. And it's like, the dude spoke directly to such a real struggle in my life, and the book that he was reading was the Bible, and I didn't even know that. And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, let me tell you about this thing right here. And it's like, there is an amount of faith there's more of a dependence on God and seeing God come through to where it's just like, well, I have my paycheck and I have my house and I've got my savings and I have my IRA and I have my 401k and I have all that stuff. Where does God come into play? Right. And, you know, and so there's a lot more real of a connection that I think that we should change the stigma and say the way that the scriptures talk about people in that situation is a lot more favorable. And maybe we should take the scriptural view, mm-hmm. which I can still struggle with for as much as I can be friends. Yeah, that was a, the favoritism is a pretty convicting part of this chapter. For me, when I got into it, the one thing that really stuck out the most was uh, in verse 17. In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by actions, is dead. And a lot of times I see this as like, as a Christian, we go out there and say, I believe in God. I believe in this stuff and I have faith. And, and it's crazy that as James continues, he was like, even the demons believe like that means nothing. But I will say that my belief is what I lead with and not my actions. And so I can say my faith is strong, but my actions are very weak. And, and so that hit me really good because he goes into this favoritism, talks about the poor people, and then he goes into like, but what are you doing? And you could use whatever excuse you want. You could say uncomfortable. Like I, I, if I had an excuse to use, I'll say I'm an introvert. I don't like talking to people in general. So I'm not going to go out of my way to talk to someone. But that's just an excuse. And to see that, you know, faith by itself, not accompanied by actions, is dead. And really here is that what James is saying is we must have a living faith, that our faith must be active and doing something. Like faith is, isn't just a term of belief, it's a term of action and doing. Yeah, I feel like we've turned in this day of atheism, the question is, do you believe in God? But the scriptural question is, do you love God? Mm-hmm. Because belief in God, demons believe in God. If the question is, do you love God? And what James, I feel like, comes into here is if somebody's answer to that is, yes, I love God, he says, show me. (laughs) You know, it's not enough to say, I believe. It's not enough to say, I love. He goes, love is action. Point me to the places in your life that I can see that. Not that we need to prove each other Mm -hmm. to each other, but we should be able to see beyond the, 
well, I can quote you scripture. Like, mm-hmm. you know how many atheist scholars can quote more scripture than right. pastors? And More than me. And, yeah. and I like how you even put that there. You believe that there is one God? Good. Like, there, there's an exclamation mark in my Bible where he's like, good. Like, it's almost like I, I hear like this, good for you, buddy. And then followed with, even the demons believe that and shudder. Like, and then you foolish man. And, you know, even Jesus himself said that our fruit will be the evidence of our faith. And that's a production, that's producing something, that's doing things. If a, a tree bears no fruit, that means the tree isn't doing anything. It's not getting the, the nutrients it needs or it's not getting taken care of and it's not growing in, in anything and that tree or whatever it is gets taken out. So he even tells us that, that like by your fruits, your actions, people will know that your faith is just more than words. This is Sheriff Jay Arkansas, and I'm here to bring order to the wild west of your flesh with some convicting truths. No more showing favoritism. It's not nice and comes from your evil thoughts. Plain and simple, favoritism is a sin. Also, no actions in your faith equals a dead faith. Good for you that you believe in God. But without actions, you're no better than the demons. Some might say that you're just useless. Finally, be like Abraham. He was righteous. He was even called God's friend because his faith and actions were working together. Be God's friend. This has been Sheriff Jay Arkansas, and you've just been convicted. Yeah, he gets in there and can that kind of a safe, can that kind of a safe, that kind of a faith save you? No. Mm-hmm. Like, it's really blunt, and this is definitely one of those things that probably out of the whole book of James, this is the topic that most people will come to and be like, that's a thing. Yep. And then it's so easy then to look at other people and be like, oh yeah, look at all of these other people who say they believe or say they love, but where is their action? But we're in our conviction series, mm-hmm. and it's like, where is mine? Um, you know, how far do we go right. with what our obedience is as far as what is expected of us? If we're not hitting different things, should we stretch beyond where we currently are so that we can hit those things? Earlier on in James, in the same chapter, uh, verses 9 through following says, If you show partiality, you're committing sin and you're convicted by the law's transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said don't commit adultery also said don't murder. So if you don't commit adultery but you do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. So it's looking at God takes the whole law and if he says do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. We can't say, why did this, 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 this? I didn't do that. God's like, no, be obedient. Um, so when it comes to this thing of showing partiality or faith through our works and how far do we take that, it's really broad, really, really broad. And I know that me, I'll get really rough on myself on trying my hardest to hit all of the points right now. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe there's a growth process that's like, you can't hit all those points. You need to be strong enough. That's not even within your realm of doing and you're beating yourself up over it when like you can't. 
But when I read stuff, it like it really does convict me in that point of, well, let's go after it. And the, the one thing I like, too, is that uh, throughout the first two chapters, we've seen James use these terms. And in most today's society, we would think like, ooh, you're being a little harsh. Uh, but he calls uh, uh, religion without action worthless, faith without action dead. And then right here, if uh, you foolish man... Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? So straight up telling everyone that's reading this letter, like if you're not doing anything for Christ, if you're not doing anything to further the kingdom, you're worthless, you're dead, and you're foolish and useless. Like those are some harsh terms to convict me even to the idea of like, what am I doing? You know, can I say that what I'm doing is just enough or do I go out and do more? Or what has God called me to do? And do I do that to the best of my ability? But I've got to be doing something. I think ultimately that's the idea, right? If I'm just coming to church and I'm showing up and I'm sitting in the pews and I'm not doing anything and I go home after that and I don't do anything, I don't even pick up my Bible to read it, can I call myself a Christian? And I liked how a pastor a long time ago, now it seems like back when we used to meet the long, long time ago, brought up the point of like a golfer, you know, like a golfer... You can't call yourself a golfer if you read golf magazines. You go to a place where they talk about golf and they sing about golf and then you leave. You're not a golfer. And the same goes for us as Christians. If we call ourselves a Christian and we call ourselves a child of God and we're not going out and doing anything, we're not going out and actually living what this word tells us, going back to chapter one, looking intently at the word and then following it, can we call ourselves a Christian or is our religion worthless? Are we useless? Are we dead? And that's the thing, too, about coming and speaking to each other mm -hmm. with these harsh words, right? Like, we can get into all the psychology of just, like, if you come at someone in a way, of course they're going to be defensive. Of course they're going to mm -hmm. be whatever. And it's like, I would say, of course that's there, unless the Holy Spirit is in their life, and then the Holy Spirit's convicting, and maybe not if it's immediately. You go back and you pray about it, you get convicted, and God shows you something, you're like, yeah, you spoke truth into my life. But... <sighs> yeah, to be foolish, dead, and all of those things. <laughs> I feel like when it comes to bringing the harsh, just like there is a standard, live to the standard, there can be the thing of like, oh, well, that's legalism. Like, don't tell me what to do. I'm free from the law and all this stuff. And to people who say that, I say, please go read your Bible. Because <laughs> if you're trying to come up with excuses to not do the good things that God's asking you to do, like, what problem do you have with this? Like when people are like, don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me that God is like doing all these things. It's like, he's asking you to love your wife. He's asking you to love your neighbor. He's asking you to take care of an orphan and a widow. Like, what part of this are you having a problem with that you need to kick back against this thing? And uh, there's a quote in the back of an old booklet from, from our church here at Calvary. There's a last page. It's a quote from this guy, Dr. Art Wilson. No idea who this is. This booklet's from the 60s. But he says, only the lawless despise the laws against their crimes whether only just being planned or already committed. Just so, only the carnal or unregenerate or reprobate despise the high Christian standards of a biblical church. And I found that back when I used to break the law, I didn't like the police. Mm -hmm. Police were not my friend because <laughs> you were getting in the way of me doing what I was doing. And then when I stopped breaking the law, I was like, oh, I don't really have a problem with these guys anymore. <laughs> so I feel like it's the same thing within the church. It's just like, if you're having a problem with the law, maybe it's because you really like breaking it. And we should get to the side of 
seeing the goodness and wanting to be behind that. Well, I think it comes down to like a, a definite pride issue of I don't want to follow this because I just don't like it. And I know I can say that because for me, there's a big part of this rebellious nature inside of me that if anyone sets up a rule, like I am the typical don't push this button. And I'm like, yeah, let's see what's going to happen. You know, like that's just and my this is thing. Why we're friends. Right. <laughs> we were both racing to push. Them. Yeah. It's like, don't push that. Are you sure? Like, let me, you know, the Garden of Eden, if I was there, like that apple would have been eaten instantly. I don't know how long Adam and Eve lasted before they, oh, fruit, you know, uh, but I would have been like, don't. And like God just looking at me like, I'm telling, I can see you doing that. And I'm like, no, you can't. You know, it's just my nature to want to wanna do that. Well, no, see, this is your fallen nature. If you were back then, you would have been perfect. And Maybe, been yeah, yeah. So if you're still that way then, then yeah. Probably, I'm see, pretty No sure wonder humanity's were. <laughs> we're all doomed. Yeah, I really like this chapter. The one thing that I found a conviction, but a good conviction, was when he started getting into Abraham. And when he was like, and the scripture was fulfilled uh, that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. And it, it had talked about Abraham and everything he had done. But I like that end part that like he was called God's friend. And to me, it's not a conviction of ouch. It's a, I want to be there. I want that title in a sense of like, when people looked at my life, they'd be like, yeah, that guy was a friend of God by the way he acted, by the way he did things, by the way he followed, by the way he was obedient. That it went beyond just kind of like this sacrificial show up to church tithe thing. And it was more in his life. And he did more than just those those sacrificial things. And he was a friend of God. Like that's a cool title to me. And Abraham gets seems to get like all the cool titles. But there's a reason why. And it's not that Abraham was a perfect man, but he was an obedient man. And he had hiccups along the way, as far as all that goes. Yeah, really. in verse 21, though, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Mm -hmm. uh, there's kind of two different things in there for me. Is like, one, he was justified by works. Again, we can get into theologizing and all this stuff about, like, we're justified by the blood of Jesus Christ and all that. And James goes, okay, cool. If you have faith in that, show me. So it's like, by your works... And by the blood of Christ, like the two, it's two sides of the same thing. Like if you're justified by the blood of Jesus, then your works will show it. And like you're justified through the works, through the blood, through the works, through the blood. Like, you know, I mm -hmm. see that back and forth to where if your faith doesn't have works, it's dead. You know, it didn't have the effect on you. Like your heart of stone didn't change. Mm -hmm. You didn't go from like, oh, I don't believe in God or I do believe in God. It needs to come into I love God. I used to feel this way about sin, but now I don't like it. I used to feel this way about following God, but now I love it. There needs to be that switch up, and it's shown through action. Like you're saying, that for other people to see your life and go, I can see it in him, in the way he talks, in the way he walks, in his actions, in his words, like in everything all across the board. But I feel like in order to have that publicly, you also need to have that privately. Yep. Which is a whole other thing. We can get really focused on doing external works. Mm -hmm. And pride comes into that. Look at me and all the things that I'm doing for everybody. But my inner life is a mess. Right. So I've been in that spot. And, and it does. I, I think really to like follow that with God and Abraham and the whole obedience things, it was an internal thing that the eternal came out to the external. Like there was this kind of, it overflowed. What's inside of us will come out. And if there's something inside of us that isn't good, that will come out of us. The You know, you think about like the moment you stub your toe 
So when we're coming to set up in this room we're at today, because the room where we recorded at last week was just super hot and I was sweating from just standing. So now we're in here and there's a slight echo and everything, but we're moving all the furniture and I was carrying the little table that has our laptop that's below us. Uh, my coffee cup was on top of it. And as I got down to the last step, the coffee cup went bloop. And even though I had the lid covering it, like some came out and it got on my shirt. And my first word was, oh, frick. You know, <laughs> in the church. And that's kind of that idea, the same thing that sometimes if we haven't taken out the internal stuff and we haven't worked on it, it comes out of us in those horrible moments. It's a conviction series, right? Sometimes I have the, you start talking and I'm like, I really do not know how far this is going to go. Oh, it's going to go far because I have the freedom to con confess things here. This is the conviction series. Uh, and I felt bad because that shouldn't have been my natural response. And if I'm really thinking about it, like this, this of being a friend of God or God's friend, as much of a conviction, it's a challenge because I want to be like that. And in order to be like that, I know there are things in my life I need to start letting God take out, prune and remove. Kind of like the short temper that when I drop something, I go instinctively to words I probably shouldn't. Yeah. Oopsie. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. Oops-a-doodle. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's worse, right? Yeah, that, that is worse. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'm done confessing things here and showing how horrible of a human being I am. Anything else catch or stick out to you? Well, just the, the other part with that thing with Abraham and like what his work was is like he was called go and sacrifice your son. And I know that in 2020, looking at that and it's just like, but God wants human sacrifice and what's all this and all that. And so it's like, if you're offended by it, you don't understand it, whatever, go study it because great things will come out of the study and that's not what I'm taking mm -hmm. the time here. But to consider like his only son, his promised son, that God is saying, okay, in order to be obedient, I need you to give this up for yep. me. And then it goes into Rahab that Rahab uh, was justified by her works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way that she protected the messengers of God and teamed up with God's people even amongst the whole city that probably would have killed her had they found out that she was a traitor for God's people, you know? Mm -hmm. So she put herself at risk to work alongside God's people, and she was saved in the end and lived in the land of Israel. So it's like, you have one guy giving up his most prized everything, you know, his son, and that God saw that that level of obedience, you withheld nothing from me. You really are my friend. You trust me to the point that like, even if I'm asking you to do this, you know that I'm good mm -hmm. and only good is going to come from it. And same thing with Rahab is just like, hey, you know what? You've heard, she, she says, I've heard about your God. I've heard about you. Everybody here is frightened of you. I'm going to help you out. So even her is just going, I've heard about God. And we can take that into a social aspect. We're just like, yeah, there's probably going to be people that when you side up with the church, when you become one of those Bible thumping people that, mm -hmm. you know, all the stereotypes come out and, oh, now you're using hate speech because... You have an opinion on something, you know, all of those things. It's just like, yeah, but the obedience to go in that direction is something that she's recorded. It literally, Rahab the prostitute was justified. The Bible doesn't pull any punches. It's straight up like, no, the world can call you a prostitute, whatever your past was, whatever anything. But like, she is forever recorded in the scriptures as being a person of faith for going in that way. So when I look at like, okay, what these actions are. What is there in my life that I'm holding on to that I'm not giving that up? Mm -hmm. And being our conviction, confession, ouch series, whatever, I find that I'm not so much in any single behavioral thing so much, 
it's just my time now. It's kind of, I feel like my flesh and the enemy isn't getting me to the point of like, hey, go and do that bad thing. Go and do that bad thing. It's more like, hey, we're just going to stop you from doing the good thing. Yep. If you can just waste your day and not go and be faithful and be active, cool. <laughs> that will kick back like did his job, right? So I feel like for me, that's there. And that is the most precious thing. Well, I mean, I've got my, my wife and my kid, but like, I only have however many hours and then I'll die. There's no replenishment to that. So it's like, as far as resources go, that's time is the most valuable resource. Am I going to give that to God fully with everything and see that he's good in the return? And I find that when I'm obedient, it turns out that way. But that's a struggle for me. I liked how you put that all together, that the idea, and it was kind of back to what I said a little bit, that sacrifice. What are you willing to sacrifice? And hear God saying, Abraham, sacrifice this. Rahab, sacrifice your comfort or your safety. And, you know, for us, maybe God's just asking, can you sacrifice time? Can you sacrifice your finances? Can you sacrifice your comfortability in where you live? Can you sacrifice you? Can you sacrifice maybe removing that sin that's creeping in your life that you just... Not maybe removing it. When it comes to the yeah. sin thing, it's obvious. That you, you, Remove that, that, that thing that's kind of holding you back or that attitude that's keeping you down. Can you just sacrifice those things for me? So that way I can use you to do something great. And then you won't be useless. You won't be foolish. You won't be dead and you won't be worthless and you will be effective for my kingdom. Can you just sacrifice those little things? And, you know, it's hard. And I think that's why that term, that, that title that gets put on Abraham, God's friend is there because Abraham said, yeah, I'll do it. And even Rahab, when you look at it, like she's mentioned so much throughout the Bible for this one action, for this one deed. Even in the genealogy of Jesus, there's Rahab. And it's because they sacrificed. They were willing to put themselves aside for God. And that's what we need to do. If I want to have faith and deeds, I got to put myself aside to do what God wants me to do in my life and not be so caught up in what I'm trying to accomplish in my own life. And not show favoritism. I mean, that's how I look at it and see everything from what we're looking at in these in this chapter, at least. And I know we kind of went a little bit backwards, but we can go backwards, not forwards. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, there's really only a couple sections to it. And I think that we probably milked it for all that's there. <laughs> not going to get another ounce of the confession out of me right now. So we found out in these last two chapters that I have a vanity issue. You hung around with homeless people and I swear in the church. So we're doing pretty good, I think, so far. <laughs> see, the big mystery left is... Did Chris say Frick? Or is that a placement for the podcast? <laughs> Leave it in the comments. Leave it in the comments, right? Like, let's see. Uh, but yeah, I think that's it for this one. So this was James Chapter 2 of the Conviction Series. I am Chris. I'm Murdoch. And we are your church friends. Thanks for listening.